You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, How to Turn Your Independent Film into a Money-Making Business by Alex Ferrari. For a free copy of the audiobook, head over to www.filmbizbook.com. Welcome to the Director Series Podcast, a show dedicated to deconstructing the work of some of cinema's most celebrated and influential film directors. I'm your host, Cameron Bile. There's an argument to be made that the greatest art is born from a place of deprivation, the state of needing something essential to the human condition. Taxi Driver, Scorsese's first true masterpiece and one of the most influential films of the 1970s, was born of this deep existential deprivation. While Scorsese was soaking in the sunshine of Hollywood, rubbing elbows with movie stars and bigwig studio executives, a writer named Paul Schrader was languishing in the shadows of New York skyscrapers. His career had started out promising enough, beginning as a film critic and protege of sorts to famed critic Pauline Kael. Now, however, it was all falling apart in short order. The trauma of divorce and a subsequent breakup with another romantic partner developed into stomach ulcers and a persistent insomnia, turning him into a regular at pornographic bookstores and movie theaters by virtue of being the only establishments that were open. He was caught in a somnambulant state between wakefulness and sleep and wanted to capture the sensation through cinema perhaps in an attempt to exercise himself of his troubles. Inspired by some of the more lurid news stories of the day, Manson acolyte Squeaky Fromm's placement on the cover of Newsweek after her attempted assassination of President Gerald Ford, and the publication of the journals of Arthur Bremer, the would-be assassin who shot George Wallace during his 1972 presidential run, Schrader devised the character of a troubled taxi driver as a study in pathological loneliness and a reflection of society's moral rot. This figure the first of many such protagonists throughout Schrader's subsequent career, would form the basis for Taxi Driver, a script he dashed out over the course of a few reclusive weeks where he spoke to almost nobody at all. Schrader's project attracted the interest of producing team Michael and Julie Phillips, and subsequently Scorsese. Though his initial effort to attach Dustin Hoffman failed, the actor apparently regarded his would-be director as quote-unquote crazy, Scorsese realized the leverage necessary to secure the job lay in his Mean Street star Robert De Niro. De Niro, fresh off a Best Supporting Actor win at the Oscars for his performance as the young Vito Corleone in Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather Part II, was fast becoming a major star whose mere presence could make or break a film. Taxi Driver would become a transformative project for both men, propelling them to the forefront of the industry with a bold, uncompromising film that would define a decade and a generation. What is the one thing about this country that bugs you the most? Whatever it is, you should clean up this city here because this city here is like an open sewer, you know? It's full of filth and scum. And sometimes I can hardly take it. Whatever ever becomes the president should just really clean it up. Even without the inspired contributions of Scorsese, De Niro, or Schrader, Taxi Driver would still be an important work thanks to its depiction of a New York City that simply doesn't exist anymore a city on the brink of bankruptcy, where crime and decay could spread through the crumbling streets like a cancer, where the stench of desperation rivaled the smell of garbage that littered the streets in the wake of a sanitation strike. De Niro plays Travis Bickle, an insomniac Vietnam vet without much of a social life. He takes on a job as a cab driver working the night shift, 
where he can connect with the beating pulse of the city and its eclectic mix of inhabitants. He drifts aimlessly through his days, eating junk food and frequenting adult movie theaters. De Niro's second collaboration with Scorsese is so sharp, it draws blood, with the actor channeling an intense sense of judgment and reclusive superiority that fosters venomous racism and a pervasive disgust with society at large. He would go to great lengths to prepare for the role, spending weekends driving the city in a taxi before flying back to Italy for the work week so he could shoot his scenes in Bernardo Bertolucci's 1900. The fog that hangs over Bickle's life lifts somewhat when he encounters Sybil Shepherd's Betsy, an effortlessly elegant, sophisticated, and motivated young woman who's everything he's not. Introduced in true Scorsese blonde fashion, dressed all in white and gliding through the frame in slow motion, Betsy's unattainable beauty is a vast departure from the eager exhibitionism of the two-dimensional women he regularly sees on the adult movie theater screen. I reference great example of the Madonna whore complex that drives the sexual dynamics of Scorsese's work. Betsy comes to be the focus of Bickle's romantic obsessions. He lurks outside the presidential campaign office where she works, ginning up the nerve to ask her out on a date that he subsequently bungles by taking her to the only movie house he knows. While he tries to regain her trust, he also fixates on Jodie Foster's Iris, an adolescent prostitute who's been forcefully taken under the wing of a trashy pimp named Sport, played by Scorsese regular Harvey Keitel. Foster's courage as an actress is startlingly apparent, even at the age of 12, having undergone rigorous psychological evaluation to make sure the role wouldn't traumatize her, Foster ably balances the innocence and naivete of a child with the disillusionment and cynicism of someone whose childhood was prematurely taken from them. At first, Bickle only verbally encourages Iris to leave the profession, but his growing obsession with guns, knives, and Old Testament fire and brimstone causes him to opt for a forceful and violent liberation from her sexual oppressors. Through this twisted crucible, Travis Bickle remakes himself into a crusading vigilante, a man ready to take the salvation of his beloved city into his own hands, cleansing it with fire and blood. Scorsese populates his main cast with a collection of character actors and familiar faces from his previous work. A young Al Brooks appears as Betsy's bookish co-worker, also competing for her affections. Stephen Prince, who would soon become the subject of Scorsese's documentary American Boy, plays a black market arms dealer. Scorsese's parents, Charles and Catherine, briefly stand in as Iris's parents for a newspaper photo. Scorsese himself appears twice, once as a pedestrian in the background of the aforementioned slow motion shot introducing Betsy, and then again as a cuckolded creep in the back of Bickle's cab, obsessed with catching his wife in the act of a suspected affair. Looking to the dreamlike atmosphere of the wrong man and a bigger splash as inspiration, Scorsese fashions Taxi Driver into a display of what biographer and critic Tom Schoen describes as urban expressionism, wherein the exterior cityscape is suffused with the perilous, tangled web of the unconscious, subconscious, and the all-too-conscious. More visceral than reality, the visuals crawl under the skin to burrow deep down in the most primal aspects of ourselves. The seediness and decay of a major city caught in the throes of suburban flight bleeds through a sickly and lurid yellow-green patina, engineered by cinematographer Michael Chapman. The aforementioned sanitation strike would coincide with the major heat wave, and the resulting stench is palpable. Taxi Drivers New York is literal hot garbage, soaked in a 35mm fever sweat of acid rain, body odor, and cold metal. Sets were built inside of crumbling westside tenements scheduled for imminent demolition. With the ability to cut into ceilings, floors, and walls, allowing for virtuoso camera work like a floating God's Eye perspective over the bloody carnage wrought by Bickle at film's end. 
The film's $1.9 million budget allows for tremendous growth in the development of Scorsese's unique visual language. The ascetic transgressions of the French New Wave have informed his voice from the start. But Taxi Driver marks the point where he's no longer content to simply steal its stylistic conceits, opting instead to run with the ball and find entirely new visual ideas all his own. Take, for instance, the scene where Travis calls up Betsy and begs for a second date in the phone booth of a dingy elevator lobby. As Travis's pleas become more desperate and pathetic, Scorsese simply dollies the camera away from his original composition to look down the length of an empty hallway instead, as if we are physically looking away from the embarrassment of Travis's cringeworthy phone call. There's also a scene in an all-night diner where Travis zeroes in on the Alka-Seltzer tablet dissolving in his glass of water. It's a trivial detail, ultimately unimportant to the scene, but Scorsese slowly zooms in on the violent bubbles until they fill the screen as if to echo the roiling rage burning behind Bickle's otherwise calm exterior. Just as Alice doesn't live here anymore, look to the designers of monumental old Hollywood films like Citizen Kane for the overtly theatrical design of a key set piece. Taxi Driver enlists Kane's iconic composer Bernard Herrmann to accentuate its neon and sulfur hellscape. A move indicative of his bone-deep absorption of film history, Scorsese's hiring of Herrmann results in a dissonant, brassy score that throbs along long Manhattan avenues, all the while dangling the promise of cosmopolitan happiness in the form of a sultry jazz theme. Taxi Driver's music is an undeniable display of a master at work, pouring all of himself into his creation until there is nothing left. Indeed, Taxi Driver is Herman's last work. He would pass away mere hours after returning home from the film's final recording session. Taxi Driver is so thoroughly steeped in Scorsese's artistic signatures that one could be forgiven that it was he, and not Schrader, who came up with the screenplay. He does contribute a core creative decision in transposing Schrader's original Los Angeles setting to the grimy environs of Manhattan. His particular interest in positioning criminals and antiheroes as protagonists also reinforces Schrader's fascination with American media's tendency to lionize vigilantes. The film's conclusion, which may or may not be a dying man's last illusion, sees Bickle hailed as a hero in the press after his violent crusade to save Iris, whereas he would have been regarded quite differently had he only been a little faster on the trigger at Palantine's rally. More sinner than saint, Bickle is nonetheless consumed by an unflagging conviction that parallels Scorsese's career-long exploration of Roman Catholic ideology. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. His burning desire to purge the city of its filth is almost biblical. So rigidly attached is he to a personal dogma fostered in paranoid isolation. Scorsese's penchant for messy, chaotic violence gives Taxi Driver its fundamentally disturbing quality, further amplified by its sheer excess. Bullet wounds don't just cause bleeding, they cause profuse bleeding. Hands don't just absorb a gunshot, they blow apart into millions of pieces. It's not enough to kill somebody with a single shot. It takes the unloading of an entire magazine. Indeed, it's because of Taxi Driver's bloodbath finale that Scorsese found himself having to deal with real censorship for the first time. Despite its alienating shock factor, Taxi Driver surprised all parties by quickly becoming Scorsese's biggest success to date. Even a booing crowd at Cannes couldn't stop the film from claiming the festival's top prize, the Palme d'Or. Robust box office receipts and a slate of glowing reviews pushed Taxi Driver as a major force come Oscar season, ultimately earning nominations for Best Original Score, Best Supporting Actress, Best Actor, and Best Picture. 
the gritty, uncompromising dramas that defined the 1970s would find in Taxi Driver an apex, the tide already turning against them in favor of increasingly popular escapist blockbusters like Jaws and Star Wars. Time has only let Taxi Driver soak even deeper into our collective cinematic psyche. Iconic scenes like Bickle's You Talking to Me monologue have been imitated by everyone and their mother, and his adoption of a mohawk hairstyle by Film's End has moved an entire aesthetic out of the niche realm of commando theatricality into entire subcultures like punk. The fictional events of Taxi Driver would even slip the boundaries of the film frame, spilling over into our world via John Hinckley's attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan in 1981 a macabre, psychotic display intended to impress Jodie Foster. Scorsese was so disturbed by this particular incident that he briefly considered quitting filmmaking altogether. Thankfully, he didn't, and the success of his subsequent work would further reinforce Taxi Driver's own, enshrined within the pantheon of great films with its 1994 inclusion on the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Thank you for listening to the Director Series. For a deeper dive into your favorite filmmakers, go to www.directorseries.net. The Director Series is made possible in large part by our generous supporters on Patreon. Please visit us at patreon.com backslash directorseries to see how your contribution enables the continued production of video essays and text articles on your favorite contemporary and classic film directors. Thank you.